Hello, my name is Miguel Nemsch and I am the Editor-in-Chief of Event Manager Blog. Welcome to this episode of the Event Manager Podcast, where I am joined by Martin Venesta, the creator of the Meeting Architecture Manifesto and Movement. We talk to, I talk to uh, Martin during this episode about the meeting architecture concept and how it adds value to meetings. And that's really the original objective of it. We talk about training in online meetings and how he always focuses on small group conversations that he really believes add the most value to meetings. He talks about how interaction delivers outstanding results, even for those that don't believe in the concept and who would rather uh, stick with a keynote or a webinar style format. We also talk about how keynotes and small conversations go really well together and are really not incompatible and how you can make a great conference out of keynotes and then uh, small conversations. We talk about the development of the groundbreaking hybrid fresh conference, a conference that was hybrid way before it was fashionable uh, and different iterations of that event. We also talk about the challenges of connecting in-person audiences with online audiences at hybrid events, something that Martin himself has been experimenting with for a long time. We talk about the bandwidth of human connections, and we also talk about planning for serendipity, which is always an interesting challenge for any type of events. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Don't forget to uh, subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoy it, please do rate it so that everybody else can also find it and enjoy it as well. Thank you very much. And now for a word from our sponsors, PHL Life Sciences, a division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. Host your convention or trade show in Philadelphia, one of America's leading life sciences hubs. PHL Life Sciences, the first and only CVB division of its kind, will connect you to the professionals at the forefront of your industry and to a culture you can only find in Philadelphia. A city known for its rich history that's forging a bright future, Philadelphia challenges the expected and defies convention. A world of discovery is waiting. Visit phllife.com to learn more. So I'm joined today by the uh, amazing Martin Vanesta. Martin, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Uh, for those who don't know Martin, I met Martin in, I think, 2008 or something like that, I believe through MPI. And Martin uh, wrote a book called The Meeting Architecture Manifesto, which I actually used for dissertation and research and lots of different things through my career. So very inspiring book. Um, so I wanted to welcome you on the show and maybe invite you to tell us a little bit about your, your background. You know, who is Martin Vanesta for anybody who doesn't know? And, and how did you become Martin Vanesta, if you will? Yeah, I'm, um, thank you, uh, Miguel. It's great to, to be here, uh, on the show. Um, great to see you again. Um, and, uh, yeah, my background, um, I'm at the middle of five uh, kids in a family. Um, my father was blinded in the Second World War, but uh, he's a very innovative uh, man and a very resourceful uh, man. Um, and uh, he, um, yeah, I think was an inspiration, but also probably, you know, the source of the genes in me that make, make me always look for new stuff. You know, I'm always interested in change and innovation. And uh, so I started... Um, uh, with my hobby, which is photography, and then I, I moved into 
a video just before I, I became 18 I bought my first video camera in the 1980 something early very early 80s and um, and from there you know everything just rolled from one to another and um, video became audiovisual audiovisual became meetings and uh, and my first meeting was for a local uh, company from Johnson and Johnson pharmaceuticals and um, the passion uh, really uh, uh, hit me right there you know it's um, when people get together um, I think that's a wonderful uh, moment uh, in life and uh, and that's where it all started. Uh, and were you aware that there was this thing called the meetings industry no, or the events industry? No, nobody is. Huh? This is uh, still, still the same, I think. And uh, no, of course. And uh, I was happy to discover uh, the meeting industry in uh, um, 90 something. I happened to, you know, stumble over MPI one way or another, or a magazine or something, and they introduced me to MPI. And then I heard that they had this conference and I was. I wanted to go immediately, but I was too late. I think it was sold out, or it just it just happened. So I couldn't go, or whatever. And uh, since then, I, I've done all the MPI conferences, etc. Um, you know, both in in Europe and uh, abroad. Um, and then uh, ultimately, also as a speaker, you know, always curious to find out from from meeting planners why they organize meetings and you know what's behind it. And yeah, so okay. So your AV company was called Abbott, Abbott Meeting Innovators. Abbott. Yes, yeah. I remember the story of Abbott being uh, the, one of the first words in the, in the directory, right? So ABB, <laughs> I think that's... ABBIT, uh, yeah. yeah. Very, very clever. But uh, you also, uh, you're a CMM and you yeah. created the Meeting Design Institute, which I think you're still involved with. Like Abbott is yes. not something you're involved with anymore, but the no. Meeting Design Institute is correct yeah. correct correct yes and then in 2007 you wrote the meeting architecture a manifesto so what yeah. led you to write that book what what was missing in the industry that that you wanted to kind of say yeah i think every everything started uh, uh in, in 10 years before i wrote this book uh when i went to um eibtm in geneva still uh and um i went there and i i discovered uh wonderful uh, industry and a great group of people um, and and I saw a lot of uh, the stands uh, most of the stands 98% of all the stands I, I think uh, was uh, uh, hospitality and uh, and that's of course is fundamental to meetings um, but you know it's not everything and uh, me with the backgrounds that I have and, and looking for value how do, how do we create value in meetings I was always asking that question: Why do people come together? Why do people organize these meetings? And and the answer is never well because we want to travel or because we want to have people in hotels or because we want to have we want to feed people. You know that's never never the purpose, although it's fundamental to the industry. And so I I felt this need for I felt the the uh, the lack of um, you know the, the, let's say this inside of meetings actually the how meetings function what they what they do, the presentations, and how we improve those, and, and and how we improve networking and learning at meetings. And so that immediately struck me as as fascinating. You know, this whole industry, calling the, calling itself the meeting industry, was actually more like the hospitality industry, I would say, you know, for ninety ninety eight point five percent. Okay, that's why. 
And do you feel like that's still the case? Yeah, I think um, I think there has been some shift. Maybe instead of ninety eight point five percent, it's now ninety eight percent. But I think there is overall. Uh, I mean, the influence of the the hospitality industry is obviously very logic and understandable. Um, it's it's a heavy weight financially in what 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 it takes to organize a meeting. Uh, and and I remember. Um, uh, Roger Tondeur saying uh, he's one of the you know big uh, industry leaders in in, in, in the conferences and association management etc. He said, "Yeah, we do this, but you know and this is a long conversation I have with him. Uh, at the end of the day, this this design of meetings thing seems to fall off the table always because there is all this nitty gritty around who gets which room." And, and, and the VIPs uh, need to travel, and, and there's all sorts of logistical challenges, and a lot of money goes into that, and that, that takes all the attention. So I think that is a natural tendency of meeting planners, um, meeting professionals, to, uh, to automatically have this hospitality side of meetings as, the, as a priority in a way, and, and it takes all the attention and all the money, and then at the end, yeah, we should maybe think about changing the format of the meeting and then it's too late and we need more money and yeah so that's kind of <laughs> it's, a kind nat- of... it's a natural you know people love parties love food love love a great hotel and great destination so it's fundamental yeah. to what we do but we I, th- I think balance. yeah and 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 i and i i think i i'd like you to explain the meeting architecture principle a little bit further because i think it, you know it's it's an interesting name, but what do you mean by it for for anybody who doesn't know? But you know, we're recording this in May of 2021, and we're in a moment where, at least in theory, the industry is is starting up again. There's events starting up. There's vaccinations. The pandemic looks like, at least in the Western world, is beginning to be resolved. Um, so it's it's a unique opportunity, maybe to rethink or there's a big desire to to go back to in-person meetings is it an opportunity to rethink that um and and, but tell me a little bit more about meeting architecture specifically because i know you differentiate it from meeting design a little bit and there's a bit of a a responsibility around that or do you think that that was something that is not really applicable anymore well uh, it's always very interesting in the meeting industry how Things get names and how you know we use all, lots of acronyms and we talk, talk about virtual meetings while well, they're actually not virtual; they're real meetings, etc. But you know that's just a name uh, discussion, which is re- really not important. I think um, it, when 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 I talk about design, I talk about this stage uh, uh, in the work of a meeting architect, the stage when you're actually designing. Before that, you have to identify the objectives. You know that's I think if you know the objectives, you can design uh, the right vehicle to 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 drive those uh objectives and so for, for me design is a stage but you know i i know that the meeting industry means designing better meetings based on objectives and probably also measuring the results um uh i mean it's fine you know whatever you want to call it um and uh i think a meeting architect is a person that focuses on the con- the that focuses on the um uh, content side on the effectiveness of the meeting, but not so much on the the hospitality and the travel and and uh, the logistical side of uh, meetings. 
So I don't. And do you think that we're in a unique opportunity now for meeting architects well, or for aspiring meeting architects? I, I don't know. I don't think a lot uh, uh, has changed. We had a, a break. We had a pause. And I think what, what has changed is the, um, well, I wouldn't say em embracing of technology. I think people were forced, you know, to use the technology and have now a, a, a bigger or a higher level of confidence, I think, with uh, online uh, meetings. I, I think we all discovered a lot of opportunities and possibilities. And, 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 and so that's, that's definitely a good thing. Whether that will help us in, in, in creating more effective meetings, I'm not sure, because I, I've seen uh, what people call an online conference, and it's actually a, a series of, of webinars. So I don't think the, the challenge has gone. Um, I think there is uh, maybe a, a set of new challenges. But fundamentally, the things remain the same. We need to do a better job in, in, in bringing people together. You know, making people meet, make, make, making people uh, get to know other people. You know, increasing the networking, the quality and the quantity of networking above and beyond everything. You know, I think that's, that's the unique side, that's the unique thing that happens at meetings. And I think we need a lot of, we need a, we need a lot of innovation there in improving okay. the networking side. Both well, online I mean, uh, and, and offline or on site. Online one of our website. one of our common friends, Rude Jensen, talks a lot about limitations and how limitations can improve or, I guess, force creativity. Um, and you know, in one way, you could see the lack of in-person meeting as that type of limitation, right? But you don't yeah. you don't have you seen innovative uh, virtual or online events that 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 you think are are a result. Of that creative process or that limitation that boosts creativity. Well, I I know that uh, a lot of the students that I've I've um, trained around online meetings in the past uh, months, the um, that they are doing a lot of online stuff that they've never done before. So I think that's a big success. That is that has you know that's pushed by the crisis, pushed by, pushed by the limitations of, of, of not being able to do in-person meetings and that's a good thing you know they've all discovered and some of them more successful than than in, in on-site meetings they had bigger meetings than before they had more participants mm -hmm. than before so so yeah i think i think that definitely is um is happening okay tell me a bit this, about this training that you're doing we, we, there's other things that i know you've done in the past that i that i wanted to mention but tell me a little bit about the type of training that you've been working on lately so the training that we've done was uh for online meeting design so it's um about how to do an online meeting that is more effective and then of course you, you have to see a number of technical things like you know the equipment and um internet connections and you know what to do uh when um with speakers and, and how to brief participants and there's a lot of things um but but i think the most important thing that we trained was about the scripting you know how to make a script that is that, that works and how to uh keep those core purposes of meetings central to what we do and not do webinars you know uh so I think we we made the mistake uh, for many many years now, or, or you know, it's a weak point of what we've done in the past is, is 
You just give speakers the stage and they speak and that's it. While there's so much more you can do in, in, a, in a room with people and a speaker. Uh, and and the, the, cha- the same challenge we have in online meetings. So the training looked at how you can have small group conversations. And I think that's a big deal. Um, if, if you have five people, six people, and give them 10 minutes to talk about the topic that is just was well, just presented by the speaker, magic happens. You know, people love that. Um, and, uh, or most people love it. And, there's, um, and, 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 and that's just, you know, great stuff. And I think it's, it works really well. Um, participants in the training, you know, got the tips and tricks and examples of uh, how to get that small group conversation in an online meeting, for example. Okay. Um, I, I, I like engaging meetings. I like conversations. I like small groups. Uh, but it's not for everybody. Um, and I've had very interesting conversations with smart people online saying, you know what? I don't think my attendees want this engagement. It's intimidating sometimes, you know, the small meeting group and, and the camera on and all those kind of things. What do you say yeah. to that? I say to that uh, that it's a gut feeling. And if you try and you measure and you ask participants uh, just a few questions, and I've done dozens of those, you get crazy high scores in how people enjoyed small group conversations versus sitting down and listening to a speaker. Mm-hmm. We had the same thing in, in, um, in physical meetings, in, in, in person meetings. Um, where some people say, yeah, I'm not coming to this event to uh, to talk to my peers. I'm coming here for the speakers. Well, um, it's the same now. Some people say that, and some people um, prefer not to do that. I wonder, why don't I just look at the YouTube video then? And then you're alone. You don't need to talk to anyone. You're in your house. You don't have to travel. You don't have to go anywhere. Why do you come to a conference for that, you know? uh, so, well, that's that's a whole discussion, but fundamentally, check it, you know, just don't say it because you think it's uh, the case. I've, I've heard many people say that, and when you do it, and you look at the numbers, you ask people, uh, did you learn from the speaker? Did you learn from the other participants? Did you meet new people? Did you enjoy this session? How, how did this session feel? Did it feel like 90 minutes? Uh, or was it longer or shorter? You know, if you ask those questions, you'll see that people thoroughly enjoy those uh, small group conversations and that they really um, feel that they met somebody that they might even reconnect to after the event. And I think that's the magic, you know, um, the networking is so important. So in a way you're merging the networking and the content in in one high power session. Yeah, it's very simple. Uh, There is no rocket science. so you, you give people some time, you give them uh, a few participants in a small group. You know, if you have 100 people, make, make 20 groups of five or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and you give them time and, you, and the topic is what was just presented by the speaker. Do you agree? Is it interesting? Do you want to add something? Did you do this? Will you do this? Etc. You know, just talk about what the speaker was saying. So that's the mm-hmm. content leading the conversation. And you and I and everybody else very quickly learns from a small group of people talking about this topic, who is of interest to you, people you've never seen or heard before, and you talk to each other about this topic. 
is a great, a great way of, of uh, getting to know new people. In terms of the marketing, I, I, I love this topic. I like creating these things, but I feel that most events, when it comes to promoting, when it comes to selling registration, when it comes to the business model, rely on speakers, rely on the keynote kind of marketing. Is that, is that just human nature? Do you feel that we just are attracted to that, but actually will get a better experience from the peer uh, conversations? Or is there a, I don't know, is there a, a conference that needs to be a bit braver and not rely on, on speakers or keynotes? I think I think um, it's very natural, you know. If you, if there is a famous uh, person and, and a great topic, etc., the learning in people's minds and also in the minds of their bosses is crucially important. Um, nobody will spontaneously uh, mention networking as the number one reason. Well, they do uh, for for going to a conference, but it's less it's less obvious. But um, I think you need to combine both. You can have your keynote speakers that are famous and will attract people. Also, you know, the destination and, and the, the venue are, are also important to attract people. So I think you still need to do those things, but it's not because you have a good speaker that you have to force everybody else to shut up while this person is talking and give that person 45 minutes and then move on to the next. We, we need to redistribute our time and it doesn't mean the speaker doesn't get 45 minutes anymore. It means you get a 90-minute session and 45 minutes is for the speaker and 45 minutes is for the participants. But you chunk it up and you mix it up in, in, in a script of seven, seven lines. And so, so it's perfectly gets... compatible with, with keynote speakers. It's just not Absolutely. filling a, set, a conference or, or an event with keynote speakers and no time to discuss. Yeah. That's really where it's, it's an issue. Yeah, it's 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 not a lot of work more, but it is a little more work, you know, to to create a script and to help the speaker and to make sure that this actually happens and make sure that the participants stop in time, etc. You need kind of maybe uh, you know a little more time, a little more uh, effort, and um, and maybe also a facilitator, you know, that manages this process uh, so it yep. so it works well. But I think on the other hand, the value that you create for for your participants is so much so much higher. Are you ready to celebrate your successes in the world of meetings and events? The Skift Meetings Awards are back for 2024, recognizing the most innovative business events companies across 15 categories, and we want you to be a part of it. Winners will feature on Skift Meetings, sending a clear signal to events professionals around the world that these are partners they can rely on. The final deadline for submissions is June 11th. We encourage you to start your submission today to secure the best entry rates. For more information and to start your submission, head to live.skift.com. So we skipped ahead a little bit as well. Um, you know, one of the things I know about you and I've participated in a few is, is the Fresh Conference. Uh, and the Fresh yeah. Conference is perhaps the conference representation of the meeting architecture concept. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it's definitely a, a, a playground for innovation. Uh, so we, we, we always try to experiment and, and introduce new things. Um, and risking a bit of, uh, you know, um, not always, uh, um, it's not always a hit, you know, you, sometimes you just do something and you evaluate and then 
it's not, it's not, it doesn't seem to be that great. But that's the kind of risk we can take with the Fresh Conference. People coming to the Fresh Conference um, always have um, been open to that innovation, and it's kind of part of, yeah. of the, the genomics of Fresh. Well, it's still, to this date, it's one of the few hybrid events that I've been to. And I think it was, it was. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't like the term "truly hybrid," but it was a, a very hybrid concept for the first five, six years, something like that. Yeah. With with a sort of large audience and a video, a live video feed, and then since I think 2017, if I'm not mistaken, it's been a, a sort of multi-hub concept. Am I right yeah. in saying that? Yeah, we've done two years of, of, of multi-hub, and I think that's a very powerful concept, uh, especially now uh, with uh, some borders opening up or national meetings being possible, but not yet uh, international meetings. So it's a great concept for um, having groups of people still come together, but uh, not everybody in the same place because of the regulations or the, you know, the limitations that we have. And that's so for- multi-hub. For those who are not familiar, can you explain what you mean by multi-hub and how it plays out? Well, I don't like to use the term true multi-hub uh, <laughs> to go back to what you were saying about the true hybrid. But yeah, I think the true, the true uh, multi-hub meeting is a, a meeting where all the hubs, which are different cities or different hotel venues or different meeting rooms or different countries. Uh, so all these groups of people in different places are connected um, in sound and in video in all directions so that it's not a webcast to groups of participants it is a real unification of these groups so you can actually have conversations between individuals that are in different places or you can have a speaker in one place uh, and in another place and then everybody splits up in in each of their cities and they can go to one of those speakers so it's a it's a high density connection uh, uh, where, where you have groups meeting groups in a way so yeah okay and in so you know one of the things we've been looking at at event mb is for hybrid events and of course hybrid can take many different formats um, but we're kind of questioning whether the on-site or the in-person groups want to meet with the online groups because i feel like most events that are going hybrid are actually looking to separate those groups and you know do networking but when you're when you're sitting in front of a computer and the person you're networking with is also sitting in front of a computer it seems natural and when you're on site it seems natural to meet with other people who are physically there with you but this kind of trying to bring those two audiences together particularly at the individual level is that something that we want to do or is that something that kind of breaks the experience what's what's your experience with that yeah we've done something like this um at uh one of the first conferences the the thing is that everybody that sits in in a group is in one of the hubs uh is in one of the cities um everybody every individual that wants to have an individual conversation with somebody else needs to have a laptop or, yep. or, or a device, you know, that has a camera and, 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 and preferably a headset. Um, so it takes you out of that on-site group for a while. And, and that can be important. Uh, it depends on who, you know, who the other person is that, is that you're talking to. But that individual could be in another hub. It could be an individual that is 
at home, but it also could also be an individual that is in another hub. So, you know, in that sense, it's um, maybe a little early now, a little too early to, uh, to do that. I think it requires uh, some innovative software that hasn't been written yet, um, where every individual, whether he or she is at home, or whether this individual is in a group somewhere, a small group or a big group, but that every individual is also um, um, part of uh, a list of people that you can choose to connect with uh, on an individual base. You can make one-on-one -on -one appointments, um, and it shouldn't matter whether you're whether you're in a group or or at home. You do need to to set apart some time for that uh, in the script. You know, you need this networking moment and then actually do something. Uh, actively support it and actively organize it. I think we need some some uh, additional software uh, to be able to do that. Well, I mean, we've been speaking to a lot of app providers, which, you know, meeting apps have been sort of irrelevant for, for the last 15 months or so. But from what I've seen of the cross-integration between virtual event platforms and app providers, I think we might be there. You know, there are apps now that are using very low latency video um, formats, uh, proprietary formats that now enable you to have a almost real-time video feed. So you have the keynote speaker on your phone, provided, you know, you have enough bandwidth uh, and you can watch that almost in real time. I think there's maybe a, a half a second delay, something like that, which I think is is fine if you're not in the room and if you're in the room, it might be a bit confusing. And these apps allow you to do one-on-one -on -one calls instantly within the same environment. So within the same event environment. So I think we might be there technologically speaking, again, with the caveat of the bandwidth or 5G might be, you know, the next step. But yeah, do we... you need video, you need video calls, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But still, I, I'm struggling a little bit with the idea of sort of dragging people away from a face-to-face environment to yeah. have a video call right because we're kind of saying people in a group people coming together that's really where the magic happens and then we're kind of putting technology won't technology become a barrier there even if you have really low latency video yeah i think the highest social bandwidth the highest bandwidth between people is when you meet in the flesh you know you're in the same room and you sit next to each other and you talk to each other. That's the best quality. And I think what we are having here is video and, and sound, a, a good quality uh, video connection, is, is the second best thing. Mm -hmm. So when somebody does the effort to go to a meeting and, and uh, pays the, the fee to be at a conference, for example, I, I would agree with you that it's kind of a challenge to then all of a sudden um, take that person away for a call that actually could happen any day, any time, you know. Uh, so why, why would we force that into, into this magical moment of people that are together? Um, so, yeah, future... Maybe, fu maybe the solution is to have some sort of calendar appointments set up where you have, I don't know, 10 calendar appointments set up in your diary for the next yeah. week. And as you meet interesting people, you fill them up. I, I, I don't know. I mean... Yeah, this is, this is something that is already... Uh, been around for a while, you know, are we organizing meetings are we, are, or are we managing a community? You know, so, so the meeting obviously is the, the, the big moment for, for a community. But um, 
you know, do we stop there or do we continue? And I think that's, you know, been been, been discussed for a while. Um, and I guess, you know, meetings face to face is where the magic happens. People get together, they meet each other, they talk and they say, let's have a coffee later on. And that's when it happens. You know, that's when, when people meet and when they start new projects or, you know, uh, support each other or, you know, really important stuff. So I think we should keep on doing that and, 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 and make sure that that is done well, because it should not be an accidental meeting, you know, like those two doctors at this conference of, of uh, what is it called, uh, diabetes conference. They, they were both ill and they had to stay in their room. But since they were both ill, they were talking to each other all the time. And this is where something started, the biggest research project ever in, in diabetes. That was an, an accidental uh, meeting. We should mm -hmm. make those things happen. Yeah, we should, we should bring should us together. be the organizers of those kind of uh, new connections. And we should measure that. You know, we should measure how many new connections did people make and, and how many of those have led to uh, a business relationship or a project or a collaboration or, you know, what, whatever it is. And, and yeah. that's the kind of effectiveness we, we, we need to look for. Uh, and I think we're getting close, you know, um, measuring that kind of effectiveness. Uh, it's been recognized as, as an, an impact that we have with meetings and conferences. So I think, you know, over time, this is going to be a maybe a, a more natural thing to do, spend more attention to, to those things. Yeah, it, it, I think what's, what's fascinating about that is I, I agree, yet I do also see the point that in the last 15 months, I've still managed to meet people mm. and I've still managed to have good discussions and business mm. conversations. I don't know if my best ideas have come in the last 15 months, but I think that it wasn't that bad, you know, and, and just because I couldn't meet face to face with people, I still made friends. I'm, I'm good friends with people that I've never met face to face. I've only met in video calls, right? Same so it, it is a bit, it's, it's, it's kind of contradictory sometimes or at least you, you want to find a balance right it's weird to try to pull people away from an in-person meeting but at the same time if if that's a really important meeting or if that's really interesting then it may be worthwhile i i, I don't know what yeah, the perfect yeah. solution is yeah i think it, if it happens it should be limited or it will be limited because people don't want to be taken away from this unique moment i mean yep. it's the it's in the moment of being there together sitting at the same table that is still of a higher value of, of all the mm -hmm. online stuff that we do, even if it's the best online stuff ever. And, the, and, and good online stuff can generate a lot of new connections as well. But, you know, if we still organize face-to-face -face meetings or on-site meetings or in-person in, in meetings, I, I think we, we need to respect that in the moment, in the same place, uh, uniqueness yeah. of that event and, and give people time to... To actually Absolutely. be there together. I had a, I had an interesting chat with uh, Paul Lunch da Silva and Miriam Hadness, uh, who I didn't know before. We were on a, <clears throat> a call on the IAF, the Facilitators Network, um, and um, she made a really interesting point, which I wanted to share with you. Which is, I talked about the you know the value of face to face meetings and those bar conversations that you have at the end of the day that can lead to really amazing things. And she made the point that actually we shouldn't, the magic of meeting face-to-face -face shouldn't rely on bar conversations. You should build those into the actual event. 
And at first I was a bit kind of taken back and maybe even a bit defensive, but then I kind of reflected on what she said. And I was like, actually, that's a really good point because, you know, we're both able-bodied, white, reasonably well-off, educated people that do well in bar conversations. That, that, that's not the majority of the world, right? Absolutely. And if I'm an introvert, if I'm not able-bodied, if I don't drink alcohol, if I can't be close to people, if there's a pandemic, there's lots of reasons why bar, conversation, bar cam conversations can't be what we rely on to make it worthwhile to attend events. Right. And you have to flip that round and create those serendipity and synergetic moments in the event as part of the event and not rely on the bar later. Right? Yeah. And, and oh, that's a, I mean, that's, we could talk about this for hours because uh, serendipity and, and, and bars and, and sitting next to people that you already know, um, there is a lot of stuff to be said about that. You know, for example, serendipity, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't even be serendipity. You know, if, if you have a conference of a thousand people and you have 10 sessions and in your session is a hundred people, those people are people with the same interest as you in this topic, in this speaker. So that's already a filter. If then somebody can make sure that there is only strangers sitting at the, at the same table, you split friends at the door, which is very easy and very friend can be done very friendly way. You sit with strangers at a table during a whole session. And in that session, there is moments, three moments of 10 minutes uh, for conversation with those people. I mean, that's not serendipity anymore. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of close to really organized um, uh, sitting with strangers, talking about a topic that is close to your heart, all of your hearts, and, and that makes things happen. But that doesn't exclude the bar because you meet somebody at a table like that and you have a great conversation and maybe you exchange business cards. And, and then later at the bar, you see that this person is there. You go to that person and you continue the conversation. And that's already two conversations in one day. Very quickly, you go from, I know this person, to I like this person, to I actually even trust this person. Because you already had two conversations in one day with that person. Your image of that person becomes really uh, complete. So serendipity is nice, and we can, we can, but we can help serendipity a little bit. Um, and, it's almost and, as if you have a blueprint for these things that you can architect these serendipitous moments. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's what I think we should do. I think the value of meetings will double or triple if we do this well. If we just have speakers on stage and we just give them the room and we give them 45 minutes, that's just lazy. I'm sorry mm -hmm. to say this, meeting planners, but it's, that's just lazy. I mean, it's because you don't have time for anything else, maybe. I mean, okay, so I don't want to insult you. Um, so it's because you don't have time for anything else. We, we need to find time. We need to spend more time on this. You know, it, is, it does take time. Maybe we need two people instead of one for planning a meeting. One looking at logistics and hospitality and the other one being the meeting architect, maybe. I don't know. But it's, that, that it's, may be uh, something that you suggested, I don't know, maybe uh, 13 years ago or 14 years ago now. Yeah. Yeah, but change comes uh, slowly, you know, um, yeah. and it's it's very natural for people uh, and very logic as well. You know, looking at the finances to focus on on on, on those things that are are yeah. um, fundamental. Um, great. I mean, I mean, Martin, we could we could talk about this for, forever, so I don't want to take up much more of your time. But I wanted to kind of touch on two uh, things. One is um, technology and innovation, and if you have any tools, any techniques, anything that you've been looking at that, that you're kind of betting on for the future or that you're excited about that you could share? 
Um, and the other thing I wanted to ask is if you could make a recommendation for uh, the next person that we should interview on the podcast, because I like to get this slightly serendipitous uh, chain reaction going of, of people that you think would be interesting to um, to think. But I'll let you think about that and maybe go back to the first question about the um, technology or innovation that you're excited about. Well, the... Um Technology that I think is is currently very important is installing. It's I don't know if you, you would call it technology, but it's it's like uh, having a, a good a, a good kind of a studio available in companies. So in house um, uh, small studios or rooms or with table and a good microphone, good acoustics and good light, uh, a room that people can book like a meeting room, um, where where you would have. Uh, um so like a hybrid studio but but yeah. maybe not necessarily a full-blown studio but a a hybrid studio at home or a, a decent home studio or a decent yeah. office studio yeah i think i think uh, a lot of speakers uh should be ashamed of themselves you know uh, and maybe i'm not the best example at this moment either because my studio is kind of a mess at the moment but uh because of i have a little pause in my in my work there but um I think if you're if you're a speaker and you get paid to speak, um, you should have uh, some good equipment and some good bandwidth and some good setup with light and everything. Um, so home studios for speakers, yes, and then in company small in company studios for for demonstrations with clients for uh, small meetings um, because those those change the way uh, people um, see you and. Uh, and, and the way they they perceive your message as well, I think that's quite um, quite important. It doesn't need to cost an arm and a leg, you know. You don't need to like you don't necessarily need to like to have like uh, you know the best quality top cameras and four of those, and then a switcher and a technician and everything. It could be a single camera setup, but you know, decent uh, stuff, uh, acoustics, lights, microphone, all of that. Um, I think that's. At the moment, something people should really look at and invest a few thousand euros. And is there any kind of upcoming technology that you think would, would even take that further? Anything? Or you think at it'll the, the, no, a, good, think, a good home studio would be more than sufficient? Yeah, and, um, and use cable. You know, if it's home, uh, try to use cable. If, if you're a professional in meetings and you use it a lot, then I'd say yep. don't, don't rely on Wi-Fi. And uh, green screen or no green screen? Yeah, I mean, I tend to use one. Um, so if you're if you're a company, your background could be, you know, very impactful. Um, so yeah, I would I would I would do one if um, if you if you have like a small studio. It can be a curtain, by the way, so, so you can open it up and you have a white wall, uh, or or it could be the green screen with uh, with whatever background you want excellent well, thanks for that martin and the last question who do you think we should have next on the podcast have you had a chance to think about that that is a tough one um i think uh, uh there is this guy in new york let me let me talk to him um is it okay if i come back to you with this of course he's, well this sounds like a really in-depth recommendation so I he's think he, has, he has a, a huge uh linkedin groups okay and uh, we helped him to 
use small group conversation as a as a weapon of success in his online activities and uh, I, I I think you will have um, some great feedback from what he he's, he has learned over the past few months by doing those networking events um, based on his LinkedIn groups um, okay. yeah I think I might um, recommend that guy perfect I'll let you know Great stuff, Martin. Well, thank you so much for uh, being with us today on the podcast. I hope you enjoyed the experience and uh, keep listening to the Event Manager podcast. I don't know if you're a big podcast fan, if you have other podcasts that you regularly listen to, but hopefully you'll make this uh, yeah. one of those. Absolutely. Thank you very much. It was All great right. to be Take here. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. And we are joined now by Nick Borelli from All Seated for an extended uh, conversation during this podcast. Nick, thank you so much for joining us once again. It's a pleasure to have you talk through this podcast and extend the ideas in it. Uh, how are you today? I'm great. Uh, I mean, that was a, an amazing uh, conversation. I mean, anytime I have an opportunity to uh, get some insights from Martin, he's got such a um, I don't know. It, it's like it's like the Galapagos Island uh, of event strategy mind. Like it's it seems like it's he created a lot of this stuff himself, um, and it's so pure because I think it's not necessarily just regurgitated um, versions of other things that we all kind of in our in our um, echo chambers sort of just say the same words. He has different ways of saying everything, and I always find that to be so interesting. Yeah, always a great mind of the industry and uh, interesting to, to hear what he has to say in uh, slightly different angles. Um, so one of the things we talked a lot about was this idea of forced use of technology. Uh, yeah. And I know that you had some thoughts on that as well. It, it, you know, it, it just sung out at me because I'm like, man, that's it. You know, I, I've been saying like uh, using technology at gunpoint, but I think I like his better. Mine's a little bit more American. Uh, so I, maybe I could soften that a bit. Uh, and use force used. But yeah, I, I think that there is something to be said about uh, there being a difference between uh, embrace of technology and uh, f this idea of forced use of technology. Um, and I, I was just like, man, I, 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 have, I have such fears around that because I've spent years and years doing lots of presentations around bridging the gap between uh, technology and its implementation and use uh, with live event professionals in order for them to um, really have all the tools they need to get the things they need, you know, because I, I think that event planners shouldn't be on the most stressful list. I think event planners should be considered, you know, rock stars in organizations. I think they should have to wear a lot less hats. I think a lot of things, you know, um, that would come really from being able to show uh, what you do and, and, and the outcomes explicitly. And um, I think that technology is the way to do that. And uh, I just hope that after we went through this, you know, this bad year that um, hopefully not only did you just learn how to use the technology, but you also learned uh, that it is your friend. It's a tool. It's neutral. It's not trying to take your passion away from you. It's not, you know, doing any of those things. Uh, it's, it's actually something that is a collaborative opportunity for you to do things differently and uh, hopefully have a lot less pressure put upon you because you'll be able to get your value. So him saying that was just like, yeah, that's, it's kind of the, I think there's an ongoing challenge that's still out there while the training is good. Um, I think that the psychology of the planner around technology is still up in the air as far as 
when they don't have to, you know, when they're not forced anymore, what will they do? Sure. And uh, with Martin's work on, on the meeting architecture manifest, and I know you've done a lot of work in terms of strategy and, and, and meeting design and everything like that. I think it's, it's really interesting to, I mean, this is a unique time, you know, we're recording this episode in May of 2021. We are hopefully coming out of the pandemic. Uh, the involvement with planners in technology uh, is unprecedented. And I hate using that word, but it's it's just one of those words. It just works. Um, but how have you seen all of that? Because you know, we've talked about technology, design of events, all these kind of things for years. And there seemed to always be this barrier and a little bit of what, yeah. what Martin was talking about, right? This forced use of technology, but suddenly it's like, you're just going to have to figure it out. Um, have we kind of developed at an amazing speed in terms of design or, or was it just this like forced use of technology and we've figured it out? Uh, the thing that I'm, I, I'm, I'm probably the most excited about from a standpoint of, um, uh, a line that's been crossed that can't that can't be go back and therefore we can't um, sort of be um, I don't know uh, let's Rubicon. say yeah yeah is the investment so like there's so much money that's been invested in these platforms and so many stakeholders that have an interest in uh, the success of of event technologies uh, actually taking root that um, that that's not going to be thrown away, you know, just because someone's like, ah, I'd rather just have, you know, uh, a party uh, and invite, you know, people that I like and, and hope for the best, you know, like that kind of uh, party planner mentality of, of days gone, um, like the worst, I think, of, of kind of what we can be, you know, our lowest potential. Um, I think there's so much money invested in our highest potential now that, um, that that's going to push things more uh, people outside of their comfort zone more than anything else, because there's going to be investments made in training, uh, you know, a new crowd potentially, uh, hopefully we didn't experience too much of a brain drain, uh, but there's going to be enough, uh, energy and, and uh, time put into that because the investments have been made, I mean, millions and millions of dollars. So that part is, uh, exciting for me because, you know, I know that money will make things happen. Uh, even against people's uh, maybe feelings, uh, because it'll be worked out. Um, so, but that said, I, I think that there's still um, uh, there's still a gulf between what I would consider like the core reader of event manager blog, people who like technology, people who are embrace change and have their thumb on the pulse, uh, and then uh, a large majority of of planners out there who maybe not aren't as participatory in the future who have it kind of their thing figured out um, and want to protect that, um, there's no room for that anymore. Like there's no room for um, protecting your fiefdom and, uh, and, and just, just being a hack. Like there just isn't. I wonder, because you were saying that hopefully there hasn't been a brain drain, but do you think that perhaps this has been kind of like a Darwinian litmus test for people who are disposed or not to use technology over the course of 2020. I mean, if there, if anyone yeah. has left, surely it's those people who um, are more likely not to have been able to avail of the tech solutions that are there. Yeah. I mean, I, I always hope for um, any kind of um, 
you know, asteroid uh, to come and, you know, wipe out the dinosaurs. Uh, I, you know, I would like, I always hope for a kinder version of that. Um, but at the end of the day, that's what's required, you know, for progress. Those people gone, you know, that just accelerates what would have happened already, you know, from an objective uh, macro level, I go, it is what it is. That's, that's, you know, that's good. Um, there is a negative, though, that I, I think is less seen. Uh, and that is the uh, amount of young professionals uh, who were a bright minds who are coming into an industry that was that was way more formed than it's ever been, uh, and had a career path in mind and had an upward momentum that that seemed plausible. And they couldn't weather a year without income, you know, they were cut early. Uh, they, uh, you know, they definitely didn't see the stability in, in a time where, where it's not like it's millennials, um, you know, before where we're, you know, like that's a group of people who was used to maybe not hunkering down and taking jobs that, um, need to satisfy them um, monetarily. You know, like this is another generation that's more baby boomer esque of, of knowing that you take a job that makes you money and, you know, uh, and events didn't look like that in 2020. So I don't know if I, I actually knew a number of people who have been on over the last three or four years, some of those, you know, 20, you know, I don't know, what is it like 50 for under 20 or whatever those groups are, those awards. And I know many of them that are not longer in the events industry. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot, there's a, not, a lot of new realtors in the world. Uh, and there's a lot of, uh, <laughs> There's a lot of other people who just took office jobs in the same way that hospitality took a huge hit uh, during COVID as well. People looked up and they said, do I have to do a job that I have to, you know, spend uh, 40 hours, uh, a, you know, by Wednesday and then I have the rest of my week to still work? You know, do do I have to, you know, do something that's this stressful? Is there another some other way? And they were exposed to that. Uh, and uh, they also saw that there was stability there and uh, many people made that decision. So the old dinosaurs who didn't change being gone, you know, uh, you know, I, I hate to say it, you know, I love all of you people, but uh, you were going to go anyway. It's the people that couldn't afford to go through the disruption that, um, you know, who had promised that I'm really the most fearful on a macro level for the events industry. And I think technology probably offers the best opportunity to bring those people on board uh, and to give them a, a, a position that allows them to make an impact in the events industry, you know, and well, maybe sure. be crossover. Yeah. I mean, if you were talking about the, the pre pandemic uh, job prospect being 40 hours by Wednesday, then surely much as we've started to incorporate things like Excel that we might not have used or been as familiar with like 25 years ago, some technology is just here to stay because it presents you with, advantages that are that become de facto expectations for your job performance right they're just things you have to get up to speed on as par for the standard course at a certain point do you think that virtual event technology and or any of the developments over the last you know 15 months have uh have kind of fit anything close to that bill from a standpoint of uh, available education uh due to much more of a, a proliferation of evergreen content that's laying around yeah, I mean, you can you can definitely if you're scrappy and you're uh, and you want to be able to self-educate. There's, I feel like it just seems like there's way more content out there that will, you know, get you there uh, faster. Um, your ability to maybe have more thoughtful exchanges uh, with people that are at peer levels as opposed to ten years ago where it was Twitter and you kind of had to jump on a hashtag and uh, ride that for six months. You can potentially have a more 
uh, long-lasting, more meaningful connection that, that, that is a little bit closer to trust building that would happen in face-to-face, although not the same uh, in virtual. There, there's a few different opportunities you know, in that way. Uh, and I think there's also jobs. Uh, I think that uh, with, with the investments that have been made in virtual events, um, you know, we, I think we have an opportunity to uh, expose uh, young professionals specifically to opportunities in live events. Like we at LC, we've been hiring like crazy over the last few months. And I even took somebody on my team, uh, on my team specifically, who he told me, he's like, I just want to get into live events. I don't know how though. Like, I don't know how, I don't know what angle, um, but I really want to get into it. And I'm like, well, look, we have this. Um, you'll be able to talk to people in every, you know, scope of uh, uh, event production and you'll be able to see it from this level. You'll be able to do it remotely. And, you know, maybe you'll get a feel for what you like in, in the live as well. Um, and maybe there's there's something that will be able to, you know, give you exposure to something um, that uh, would, you know, at a time where it's maybe a little bit less lean uh, in the live events industry. Uh, so who knows? I think there's going to be a lot of people. There's going to be the cross-pollination hasn't happened yet. We talked before in a, in a previous conversation about this idea of live event professionals going to technology and joining the dark side, uh, I think the next phase, which will be super fascinating, is the actual, you know, the, the migration the other way. And hopefully that's what we get. We get this exchange um, in, in a kind of like way that, you know, I don't know, I'm trying to think of, you know, two warring families get married or something or give a baby to each other, or some weird thing like that. Uh, I want that, right? I want, I want the mind exchange. Uh, and I want, uh, and that's, I think that's going to happen a lot faster. I think there's going to be event tech people that, that will actually see live events and be like, you know, I could just, I could just do this myself. You know, I could produce this event and they'll, they'll, that I've seen that before. It's really fun when you see a vendor, uh, you know, pr- providing a lot of solutions for an event and going like, I think I could just, I could produce my own events. Like, I think I got it. Um, I think virtual will, will likely give a lot of parallel skills to new minds uh, who will get who will come at live events in a completely different way. I've seen definitely a lot of jobs going on the planning side at the moment. So hopefully that's uh, also a good sign and, and they'll be equivalent or, or kind of at least uh, appealing to to those on the tech side or uh, yeah. Yeah, interesting developments coming up for sure. Um, I wanted to touch on something a little bit that, that Martin talked a lot about, which is this idea of designing uh, the experience of the event and this focus on the smaller group conversation uh, and how that is, according to Martin, at least, you know, from what he said, is really the thing that has the best scores, is really the thing that people remember, take away with them. And, and I mentioned that some planners and some participants aren't necessarily looking for participation or that that real you know deep engagement particularly on the online events and and martin was very clear that he believed that it was just a a thing you had to get over right it was like a butterflies feeling it's like once you get over that that'll really be the the best experience um how do you see that and and i know with with all seated part of the experience can also be the the small group experience or or you know the casual conversations is that something you think about a lot I don't even know what percentage of satisfaction from our attendees and clients comes from those. It, it, if it's if it's lower than eighty percent, I would be shocked. The the small exchanges are the big deal when it comes to people on our platform for sure. It's we we are not a broadcast first platform. You know we are not a uh, like our first priority is not uh, content 
distribution. Our first priority is making connections uh, and uh, giving people the opportunity to make the connections that they want to make at the at the pace uh, that they want. There's not a timer timing you down to give you anxiety uh, in each exchange. Um, it's not that. It's it's you need to be able to freely uh, connect with other people um, as best you can. And that's how every event really is scored. All of our testimonials come from things uh, in, in like that from exchanges that are probably you know five, six people tops, but more often three, four. Uh, and the, the feelings that people have, the emotional anecdotes that we get back are things like, I was tired after attending your event. And we were like, oh, well, we're sorry. Like, what did, what did we do wrong there? And they're like, no, no, no I was on. I was on, like I was actually physically on the whole time because I was really engaged and I was, I was there. I wasn't also doing emails. Um, and that, and we had a lot of people, which myself included, actually, I shouldn't even say this, but I've, I, you know, I jump on some events of, you know, clients or just to, you know, walk around or whatever. And I, I have the intention of saying, I'm just going to go in for like 30 minutes, pop in the platform, you know, see if there's anybody I know and then pop out because I have, you know, I work for them. I can have that luxury. Uh, and I stay for like an hour or two. And I'm like, why didn't, you know, I have to text my wife, uh, I'm not coming down for dinner. Um, that's, uh, <laughs> it, that's, that, that's like, you know, that, that's a different proof. And that only comes from, that's because the content was on, you know, it was fire. That wasn't it. You know, like the content, I would, I'm very, very accustomed to just saying like, I'll, I'll consume it when, uh, you know, later in archive, I'll consume it, you know, when it's something that makes sense for me in the style I want whenever I want on demand. To me, that's what I expect from content. I know that's not the same for everyone, but that's that's my type. What I will get caught up in is a good conversation and I'll let everything else slide. Like even one thing that we see, I, so here's another crazy, really quick anecdote that was just like everything to me as far as what we are as a platform. Planner, I was having a conversation with an industry event. Uh, there was a speaker uh, and, the, and there was an announcement made everybody go up front and uh, we're going to hear the speaker present. And I, uh, we were in this conversation of like five people uh, who all knew each other, been in the industry for quite some time. And one of the planners said, can you force everyone uh, from, a, from a platform level to go up front? And I said, uh, yeah, um, we won't, um, but we could from a technology standpoint. It's really easy. Uh, I could, you know, I could take over the audio. We could move their avatar, you know, against their will. And she was so excited when she heard that, you know, because it's probably her dream as a planner to be able to, you know, physically move a human being against their will and put them in front of a, a presenter where they're supposed to be. And, and I said, yeah, but when you do that, you miss out on not only to the quality of uh, of the of the engagement for that person, how they score it, like this conversation is more meaningful to them. What if they were in a conversation that was the the deal of a lifetime, the 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 person that they needed to meet there? And oh, what no, the presenter is going to speak now, and that it get whisked away. Um, so that doesn't happen for that person. And number one, number two, from a planner standpoint, you don't get that data. Like you get to find out, okay, so these small groups of conversations, like this is this is actually what's important for these types of people. So you can you can even get more specific as far as who are these people in these small conversations, you know, from a from a persona level, from a, from a data level, um, you know, you can design better to design more opportunities for these small, these small meetings that are, that are better uh, for that group. All those things go away when you, when you, you know, guide people too much. So um, that's one thing that I think we look at quite a bit when it comes to these small uh, uh, opportunities to have conversations. 
I think the hallway conversations are the meat of an event and that sometimes the content is, um, you know, uh, I don't know, the sizzle. It, it's, it's totally opposite of a lot of people's thoughts on that, I grant you. But I really, I think that uh, it's, the, it's those things that you don't expect in the conversations with a couple people that pay for everything else that you do uh, while you're away or while you're at a virtual event. That's so interesting um, that, that that's sort of the, the philosophy and the take behind All Seated. And I think it makes a lot of sense uh, given what Martin was saying. I am curious though, if, um, you know, like I've been in events where you know, I've tried to network with people and have find really productive people to have productive conversations with that would either make a lucrative and or uh, productive connection in an ongoing basis down the line. Um, and I've definitely had a lot of impromptu conversations that didn't really go anywhere with people who were not qualified. And there's a certain kind of randomness associated with moving around a, a you know a general event space. So, do you think that, particularly given that we're all you know at least for now indulging this kind of virtual space, that there's room for smaller niche events that create a more cultivated, more curated audience in general? rather than sort of trying to package everything into a couple of annual conferences where everyone shows up and, and you're trying to do that with a much broader pool of people who may not be as relevant to you? I, I don't think, and this is, you know, this is a really base, or this is a really broad statement and, and not, maybe not exciting for everybody to hear, but I don't think an event uh, with 5,000 people is a smart design. I think it's necessary, um, but I don't think it's smart. Uh, I can't network with many more people than a certain handful anyway. Um, we have the technology and the tools now to be more uh, purposeful, to be more uh, use algorithms, to use personas, to use uh, event data, to be able to put people in the same rooms that, that should be together. Um, of all the models that exist now, the one that has me the most excited, frankly, is Hub and Spoke. Like, I think it's the best of both worlds. I think it's, um, it gives you the opportunity to have that community epicenter, to have lots and lots of people excited about a specific date uh, and to make everyone feel like they're part of a community and have that belonging that is required. Like I think of WEC as a good example. Like I can shorthand have conversations with people and talk about that as um, the thing that we're all looking forward to and it works, you know, it's, it's excitement and, and, and that having 50 of those things spread across the, the calendar would, would diminish the impact and the potency of the, uh, of, you know, all the time spent on it. It would be very hard to market too. Um, but the hub and spoke kind of takes that and says, well, what if we, you know, put different people in, in, you know, different venues in different cities and online and face-to-face -face or, or what have you. Uh, based around a number of different criteria to give you the community comes together and also uh, the the networking and connections to be much, much more intentionally designed. Because even with 5,000 people in a room, tell me what your intentional networking design is, you know? I mean, sure, there's probably sessions and things like that with like overly designed um, you know, questions that people have to ask each other, or there's some kind of like, you know, third party matchmaking thing on top of what's happening. And it always feels kind of, to me, at least awkward and um, not that human. You know, I don't like time. I don't like shot clocks for networking personally. I don't like, uh, I don't know. I don't like a lot of that stuff. Like, I just want to be a person that sees another person and has a conversation. I understand what you're saying, Dylan, is that, 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 that there's a lot of 
uh, chance associated with that, and therefore it becomes very risky. That's where I think the smaller events really reduce that. There, there's a little bit more moving parts, obviously, with hub and spoke. I think there's more money though, and and like to me, as long as there's a balance of more money when there's more, um, uh, you know, uh, details, then it's okay. You know, there's more sponsors with hub and spoke for starters. You know, you could have, you know, if you have ten events, you have ten presenting sponsors, uh, and a lot more intention behind the alignment of the sponsor with the event itself too. If you have all the IT people in San Francisco and they're you know going there, and all the C-suite are in. New York and, you know, the, the sponsorship becomes much more pure and that's really what matters more than numbers is, is the quality. Um, it's, I think it pays for itself uh, very quickly when it comes to the complexity. And then I think virtual offer offers a, a huge opportunity to be part of that um, as uh, not only the broadcast aspect of it to all the live uh, spaces, but also uh, of the virtual attendees should be also selected as well to be a, a certain type. Cool. I mean, that's quite interesting. And yeah, just to wrap up, I guess uh, I'd like to just wrap up by asking you, what's your advice to people? You know, because I think a lot of planners are getting requests for, hey, we have this 10,000 person event or this 5,000 person event. And if they want to go back to their boards and at least get them to consider doing smaller events, what, what, what would you give them? What, what, what kind of weapon would you give them to go into the boardroom with? Look at, uh, look at retail and show that like the boutique is is absolutely what what is succeeding the um the quality of the of the face-to-face -face. it's not about quantity and it's about trust acceleration that happens um only when it has the opportunity to breathe uh show them parallels in other industries where the 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 mass is being done uh, you know in this place and then the uh the very select experiential is happening in this space but i mean honestly if i'm selling it to people the, the thing i said before that was probably the easiest way uh you want more sponsors you know you want you want a pure connection between our external stakeholders and the people they're supposed to talk to um let's let's break this up and let's do this in in a variety of forums even when it comes to like virtual, being able to have different series and tracks uh, that are over time that align uh, very specific niche groups um, with niche uh, sponsors, that's okay. Like you either buy uh, quality or quantity when you're a sponsor. Sometimes there's those happy mediums where you get both, um, but oftentimes either one will do. You know, it's it's big funnel or or very tight high. Uh, closing percentage, both are fine. Closing is all that matters. So for me, I would follow the money first and say, here's why this is the best experience for our external stakeholders, because it's a better experience for the internal stakeholders. It's all the same game. Everyone wants a very, very um, uh, curated experience because there's so many more options uh, outside of face-to-face uh, -face gatherings now that you don't you know, you don't need to go to a live event, period. And if you do, it should be something that is special and something that that is only for you. Awesome. Thank you very much, Nick. I think that's really interesting and, and great advice and a great thing to, to leave our listeners with. So thank you for listening, everybody. Nick, thank you for uh, being with us. And thank you all seated for sponsoring the Events Manager podcast. Uh, we hope to see you again or hear you again or be with us again in some sense uh, very soon. Thank you very much. Thanks.
Thank you for listening to this edition of the Event Manager Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. For the latest news and the best articles on technology and innovation in the event industry, head over to eventmb.com. 